That's not a problem, but Justin still. <laughs> <laughs> just we'll repeat what Josh said that was so wrong. Unbelievable. Um, welcome, everyone. This is uh, this was kind of a rough little start to the day. We had some computer issues and Josh issues. We always have Josh issues. Um, I love to do important stuff to say. Um, first of all, I want to thank you guys who came yesterday and helped here. That was a great blessing we got. Um, the, the bathroom, all the baseboard, all that stuff's done in the women's bathroom. So the women's bathroom is fully functional and ready to go back there. So you guys can quit with the little, with the little girls room over there with them. They feel like they're a little tuned in there. Um, that, that bathroom's all good to go. Still waiting on one thing. I gotta get paper towels. We have a, a, a hands-free paper towel dispenser in there for you guys. Just can't, I, no place in town sells the paper towels, so we have to, I gotta get them for someone in there. So um, I will do that this week. We put so we started working on the conference room some more. We started sheetrocking and all that. We said, hey, you know what? It'd be awesome if we put an air conditioner in here. So we put AC in there. So there's an AC unit in there now. Um, we still have to button up some stuff and fix it and get all that done, but it works and it's cold and does, does that room back there really nice. We're finishing up the sheetrock, we'll put the flooring in and then we're kind of done in there. So um, thanks, thanks for everybody that came and helped with that. And then all the weeds got sprayed. Mr. Zach. Um, it doesn't smell like it did yesterday, so it's awesome. I mean, he knew this place. So he did all the weeds. And they're all going to die, and then he's going to come out here and fire blast them. So get rid of them suckers good once and for all. But, yeah, and the ladies did a bunch of cleaning over there, so that was great. It was wonderful over there. Our plan eventually is, when funding comes available, is to do the floor and everything over there, too, and kind of redo that side. It's just... This was kind of the priority. The women's bathroom was kind of the more priority. Um, so we need to get that done. And there is a shower going in there. We just, that's kind of lower on the priority list right now. Just getting that part done. Because I have to get all the tile put in there. Anyway, with all that said, there's something else I'm going to say. Sexuality, but sadly, people continue a false narrative to make themselves feel better about their sin or something. Um, we saw the evil that resulted in two children that later became a thorn in the side of Israel. The sad part is that we didn't really get, and we don't hear the rest of Lot's story and what what happened when when these things went on. Um, 
do think it would have been interesting to find out like Lot's reaction when his two daughters ended up pregnant. I just, to me, that would have been amazing to sit there and go like, how did this happen? It's me and you two out here in the middle of nowhere. How, how did this go on? Um, and, and I guess God thought that we had seen enough and that the end result and what happens with the, the, the future generations of that of, of that incestuous, sinful situation is enough for, for us to, to get the lesson part. The two main points, I guess, um, to deal with sin when you see it, that's, that's the important part. We, we saw that Lot had just kind of let all this stuff go on around him and he didn't say anything. So in, in the end, if had he dealt with some of these issues, some of this stuff would not have happened. The second point is that if you can't deal with it, if it's something that's too big or too great or too whatever for you, to, to flee. Get out of there. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Just get out of the situation because in most cases like that, you're not going to change it. And, and it could, as we saw with Lot's wife, it could consume you. So this week, we're, we're going to look at a story that we've kind of seen before. It's got a different twist to it. I'll, I'll explain that as we go. Abraham goes into a land, and he goes in there making a massive assumption about the people there. We all know what assumptions do, right? And Abraham keeps making these assumptions as, he, as he's doing this. Abraham, like us, does a lot of things on faith, okay? But he also does a lot of things in his own strength and with his own perceived wisdom, just like we do. And we're going to find out that the, the story and the outcome are almost the same as what happens when he went into Egypt and he said, this is my sister, not my wife. Um, and as we're going through this, I, I want you guys, we're going to be reading all of chapter 20 in the book of Genesis. And as we do, I want you guys to listen for our points, which are going to be moving on. My sister, again, assumption, and then restoration. Okay, so if you would, let's stand up, and we're going to read um, verses 1 through 3. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Megiddo, and lived between Kedesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in his dream, in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return to the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, 
done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not uh, the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And then God caused me to wander from my father's house. And I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Well, where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone who are vindicated. Before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And he also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Amen. Lord, we just, again, we pray that you would just give us wisdom as we go through here. Open our hearts. Let us reflect on if there's anything in here that would go to the Lord. Help us to see it. And we just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You didn't see it. No, there's no map. Okay. If, if you guys remember from the previous maps that I had shown, you, the, you had the, the Dead Sea that was here. Sodom was over on the side, on the right side over here. And then if you looked up on the left, was kind of this whole mountain range that was along the left side. So the, the Dead Sea is kind of right in between them. Sodom's on the right. And the Oaks of Mamre are kind of like Mamre's up on the hills kind of looking down in that valley. So basically it's just this mountain range and it looks down at that whole area. So Abraham goes there and he sees all this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's just, remember, it was fire and sulfur and all this stuff that had, that had happened there. And Abraham's looking down going, man, you know, God, God said he would save it for 10. There were like 10 there. And, and he probably had some thoughts about Lot, you know, what happened with his family, with, with his wife, with the daughters. And he, he decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of move on from this area. It, it, was, it was not a great memory for him to have. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I personally, as the pastor here, have been accused in the past of not being willing to move on quickly enough from certain situations. Um, when I see somebody's life that's imploding around them, I tend to want to help and try to fix things and, and 
and make things better. And it's not that I want to sit there and I want to watch the mess that's going on. It's that I hold out hope that God's going to change the hearts of those people that I'm, I'm trying to work with in whatever situation they're doing. Because I, I, I've seen God do work in some of the worst people that you've ever seen in your life. And I've seen him do amazing things through them. And now there, there are times that we just need to move on from the destruction or we'll get sucked into it. Our, our heart wants to help, but sometimes we, we need to see that those people aren't ready to be helped. And, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of a fine line, especially as a pastor here, that I have to judge on how, how we handle that. We have to be able to move on and just pray that whatever we've instilled in them and whatever seeds we planted in them will grow somewhere else. And, and that, that, that does happen. So Abraham, in this situation, Abraham kind of, it's like, all right, well, I've done what I've done a lot. He, he, this happened. I, I don't know what to do with it. And he moves on. He goes down to the Negev. If you remember, it's that desert area, kind of down to the south of Israel um, in that area very close to where the Egyptian border is, where he got himself into trouble before. Now, if you remember from previous teachings where I talked about what is it, what's a tell, you guys remember that, what tells are? It's basically where they build, let's say that Wilcox is here in 2021, and if you come back 50 years, Wilcox is about two foot taller, and it looks completely different. And then 3,000, you come back and it's another two foot taller. They just keep building cities on top of cities and they just kind of stack them up. I put that up in here. Did I get it? Mm -mm. Yeah, there's a picture in there. Are you sure? Yeah. Um, I'll sure. look in there. There, anyway. Yeah, no, there's not. There's, there's not. The, the, the towns become kind of these mounds. The reason that they did that was almost always because of a water source. You had good water in a place, and they would just continually build on these same areas. So through excavation and uh, research, they we know that Gerar is in this old city. It's now called Tel Horor, okay? And it's, it's only about 40 acres of area. So it's not this massive city as far as, like, a city goes. Um, it's, it's actually pretty small. Now, here's the question. When Abraham goes in there, you remember, Abraham goes with his men alone, or like 380 men. He comes with a massive entourage. He comes into this small town. Why is he scared? Why does he fear it all? His blocks are probably bigger than what are there. So I, 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 as we saw with Abraham and Lot, I think that Abraham valued kind of the code of the sojourner, those people that were traveling. You don't just go in there and start waves and start taking out people and knocking them out. Abraham had no interest in land conquest. He had no interest in taking over certain areas. That was not... That was not it. And you, you remember that when Abraham, when people came to Abraham, what did he do? He took care of them. He, he would get them food. He would get them refreshment and then send them on their way. So he doesn't want war. He doesn't want any of these things. So Abimelech, at some point, must have inquired at us as to Sarah, who's, who's this lady with? And, 
remember the first case, Sarah said, you know, he's my brother. In this case, he, she, he says, Abraham says, she's my sister. You remember last time when he was in Egypt, how his witness was blown, they left that area kind of in shame. Um, Sarai, at, at the time, her name was Sarai, Sarai and Lot had a lot of trust issues with Abraham. It's one of the reasons why they split up. Um, and here he is doing it again at a time where the Lord had, had promised that within a year she was going to be having a child. And it was going to be Abraham's child. So did he feel he was risking her or was his faith so great that he can go in there and say whatever he wants and you know that God's just going to take care of him? I, I'm going to say that I would say it's the first one. Because he's, he's risking her again. First of all, think about this. When you have faith in God, you don't have any reason to lie. You don't need to tell somebody something that's untrue. Bearing false witness is a sin, and, and there's no reason to do that especially if you're doing things correctly in the way that God would have to do them, right? So, you also have to remember that, he's, that especially when you're dealing, you're, you're risking the life of your wife. And, and out of all the people on this planet, she's the one person that you should be protecting the most. Your wife. And he, he wasn't doing that, he was looking out for himself, and he even admits that in our text. So, may I also remind you guys, she's 89 years old. She ain't no spring chicken. Now, <coughs> she had to have still been a total smoke show because she still got kings like fighting over this girl. I mean, they're willing to, like, kill you for this girl. So she had to have been very attractive at 89 years old. Now, I've seen, sadly, I've seen men treat their wives badly. I've heard horror stories of, of, of abuse, both mental and physical. The culture at that time was very different. But I need you guys to understand something because we see this all the time. And do you remember the, the idiot Richard Dawkins that I posted some of the stuff last week? Richard Dawkins talks about some of these things because we as a people attribute these traits to God, but it was not. God was not okay with the way women were treated historically in the Bible. God was very clear in many different passages of how women were to be treated. That's not how men were treating them. But that because men sin does not mean that God's word is wrong. And we have to be very clear on that. We have to understand that men cannot treat women as less important because of a cultural difference. And that's, that's, what is, that's what's happening here. God put it in us, man. If you were here for the marriage, uh, for love and respect, he, was, he talks about this a lot. Men 
have a natural disposition to protect their wives. It is built in. They, by nature, will throw themselves on a sword to protect their wives. So I guess this brings up a question. Why did he feel the need to lie to protect himself? And, and I honestly think if you look at Abraham and the story of Abraham, I think it was just instinctual. He came from the land of Ur. It was, it was a very pagan culture. God called him out of there. And just like us, when we give our lives to Christ, we don't instantly become perfect. Josh probably did, but he's not here to defend himself. So when, when, when we give our lives to Christ, we still have bad habits, right? We still have things that we do that we should not be doing. And again, this is one of those moments that I love Scripture because it gives you the whole story. Abraham was, without a doubt, considered historically one of the greatest men in the Bible. Yet he had flaws, and he made mistakes, and he, he had things that he did that God did not approve of. He, he's still human, and no matter how the Midrash or rabbinical scholars portray him, his character issues are actually relatable because we make the same kinds of mistakes as people. Even when we become Christians, we still have old, bad habits we need to learn to break. That's what the entire sanctification process is all about. Us becoming more Christ-like as we walk through these things. Okay? So, what happens here in this story is that Abraham, once again, assumes the worst of the people he's going to see. So here's the logic. It's basically the same as he used last time. It was the same incorrect logic he used last time. These people don't know God. Okay? So since they don't know God, they must be evil. And since they're evil, well, <clears throat> give them Sarah so they don't kill me. What he misses is that if they're actually evil, they'll kill you anyway. It doesn't really matter. But he doesn't look at that. He also doesn't look at God's protection. Anybody in here ever guilty of making assumptions? Anyone? Anyone? I, I think that... What? I do assume you have. I am making that assumption. Um... Because I think that we all do, and I think that we all have. And I think assumptions, here's something important that we have to realize. Assumptions can actually be very reflective. What do I mean by that? We assume they would do this or do that, because if we were bad, that's what we would do, right? I mean, if, if, if I put myself, if I, if I look at Zach and I go, Zach, if, if Zach was going to do something, he would do this. Why? Why would I impart that on Zach? Because if I was doing that, that's how I would do it. Zach would do it completely different. Like, we were working in this back room yesterday, okay? If I was running the, and I did, I actually did this, he doesn't even know I did this, but 
we were putting up sheetrock back there. We were running some wiring across. Well, I was back in the back room, and I had a step stool back there. So I instinctively grabbed a step stool and brought it out for Zach. And Zach, because he's nine foot tall, is just sitting there going like this with the wire. You don't need a step stool. I thought he did. I assumed he was going to need one. We all do that. We all make these assumptions. And we do it in good, good or bad. Here's the question. Why do we never assume the best? It's almost always we assume the worst in people. And, and the reality is we do that because we live in fear. What if it happens? I, I could lose my job or my house or my wife, as, as Abraham thought. In reality, in his fear, he, he already lost her because he gave her up when he got there. There's a great lesson of faith in Matthew chapter 10. If you guys have your Bibles, turn over there, if you would, please. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, it's in the, it's in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 26. It says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the roofs, on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We, as people in general, readily give up our own soul because we fear. And, and God says we deny him when we do that. Abraham again has the promises of God. He has God saying, I'm going to do this and do this and do this. Then he's going to be a mighty nation. Then he's going to have a child within a year through Sarah. And, and yet, He's fearful of one little king with 40 acres. Because he assumes that that king would kill him for his wife. He denied the truth of God. Because God had promised this. If, if Abraham is killed by Abimelech, does that make God a liar? Because God's promises would not come true if Abimelech killed him. Okay? Abraham's not thinking about that. And what happens again <coughs> is that he blew an opportunity to witness to people he thought were evil or pagans or whatever it was. And, and we as people in general continually look at people through our own eyes and we assume the worst. 
We do that. Someone will say something and we automatically think that their intentions are to hurt us. And we have to start assuming the best in people, even those who are outside the church. People out in the world, we have to assume the best. Now, they, they don't act like you, and they can't because they don't know Christ. But it's not because you're better. It's just because they don't know Christ. We don't know how God has been preparing them, though. So we have to go into a situation with kind of a thought that maybe Maybe you have an appointment to talk to that person. I, 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 I pray for it every single week. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I always pray for God to give us appointments to talk to those people out there that, we, that don't know him. We don't know how God has been preparing those people. Has God done something in a better life that maybe he said, we don't know. We can't assume. We don't know their heart. And we just assume that because they're not Christian that they would do this. Because we were scumbags when we weren't Christian, so they must be that bad. And that's how we look at things. But that's not looking at them through God's eyes. Romans 12, 3 and 4 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to his measure of faith that God has assigned. Because <coughs> in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same, do not all have the same function. I'm going to rock your world with something. You guys ready for this? Get ready. The body of Christ is not complete. So we come in here, we go, oh, The body of Christ is not complete. The person that we assume will kill us and take our wife may one day be the head of that body or the arm of that body or the little toe. When we assume the worst, we miss our shot at, a, at, at witnessing to that person. Now God will make it happen with or without you. But what a glorious thing it is to be used by God in that way. If the body of Christ was complete, why would he tell us to go out and evangelize? It's adding people all the time. And those people come into the fold and they learn their part and they do their part. And, and we can't make assumptions as because they came from there and they came from there. None of that's relevant. They're here now. And how do we deal with them in the here and now? It's hard for us to think of it that way because when we come in, well, we're Christians now, so everything's good. It's like Tucson, Arizona. Everybody, everybody in Tucson, everybody in Tucson wants Tucson to stay the same size. Nobody else is allowed to go there because they found it. Churches are like that. Well, we're here. We don't need anybody else. <laughs> and that's not what the gospel message is. The gospel message is to bring everybody that doesn't know Christ into the body. And, and we have to be fearless in the world 
does God. God tells us to. In, in 1 John 4, 17 through 18, it says this. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We see the best and assume the best in people when we look at people through Christ's eyes instead of our own. They will, I'm going to tell you this right now. Look at your neighbor. Say, hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. They're going to mess up, and they're going to do things that are wrong. Okay? That is the reality of life and being a human. The people around you will mess up, and they will do things that either hurt you, offend you, or some other thing to you. They will do those things. And we give them grace. And we don't think, that's one of the things in the Love and Respect Conference that, that he talks about. He says, when somebody says something to you, our automatic response is, whoa, 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 why'd you say that to me? And he said, I don't remember what the number was, but it was like 98% of the time, what they said to you was not meant to offend you. It was not meant to hurt your feelings, but we take it that way. Because we hear it differently than they say it. Or they say it differently than we hear it, whatever it is. It's, it's one of those things, especially between males and females, because they're looking at things through completely different lenses to begin with. So when we, when we look to get offended right off the bat, you're always going to have conflict there. When we give them grace and go, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not really what they meant. And then you, you know, here's the hardest thing in the world. Is, is that what you meant to say to me? No, no, it's way easier to say, oh, no, Can't wait to get that. We assume. We assume the worst. Verse 10, Abimelech says to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? He asks him the question, why did you just assume? What is it that, what did you see when you came here that made you think we were this way. Why did you look at me and assume the worst? That's Abimelech's question to Abraham. Abraham like looks right out and goes, "Yeah, yeah, I, I assume the worst, and I, that's kind of what I did." And look at what Abimelech does, though. Now, we have to factor in the fact that God came to him in a dream and said, do this or you will die. But, Abimelech pours out kindness beyond what God told him to. God said, return the wife. That's all God told him. Give back the wife to this man. Here's the question. Another question. I have lots of questions. Because you guys are all answering. You're doing good. Good job, guys. How many times, I mean, this is going to hurt, 
is going to hurt right, like right at your heart. How many times have you guys seen non-Christian people doing things more Christianly than you are? Just because we are saved does not mean that we're all there. We still need grace. We still need guidance. And we still need help. Those are, those are things that every Christian and non-Christian needs. And, and this is definitely a moment in Abraham's life where, it, where he has shown how people should be treated even when you treat them wrong. As the king, Abimelech could have killed Abraham right on the spot. He lied to the king. He was not forthcoming with him. And if it had not been for God's intervening in this situation, there could have been a lot of bad stuff that happened here. I mean, the king takes Sarah as his own. There's no birth of Isaac. There's no promise. God would not, nor will he ever, let man's idiocy interfere with his plans. We, we have to know that going in. But all this does in this entire story is it shows the lack of faith by Abraham for God to protect him. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to handle this on my own, God. I'm just going to do it this way. Even though it's a lot, you're lying, you're, doing, you're giving up your wife, you're doing all these things, Abraham does this. Nonetheless, God does protect him. And, and Abimelech makes it right. Um, he, he lets Abraham have the run of the land around the area there for his flocks. Um, and he tells him he can stay wherever he wants. And then he, he gives him male and female servants and goats and uh, you know all, all these things. He blesses Abraham above what God told him to, even though Abraham intended to deceive him. And, and it's a great lesson for us all to not Assume the worst in anyone. The very person who you think could kill you could be the greatest blessing in your life. Abimelech restored his wife to him and he gave him so much more. He showed kindness where, quite frankly, most of us would have been mad and just sent him off. You get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with you. But again, this is like one of those situations where me, I, I, I have, I don't know if it's lost puppy dog syndrome or what it is, but I have an ability to, uh, desire to truly try and help people do what's right. And you guys know, I mean, we've had people who have come here, it, did, it, it, didn't, it didn't end well with some of them, and, and unfortunately, um, I, I don't believe it was anything that I did, but I, I, I really earnestly tried to help them see what was going on outside of what they were looking at. And, and a lot of times, um, a lot of times people will hear that, sometimes they won't. 
Abimelech was going above and beyond, and maybe it was the threat from, the, from God, maybe it wasn't. We do know that he was innocent in the fact that he did not know that she was married. Um, he wasn't innocent in the fact that, like Pharaoh, he was having multiple wives and going through all these different things. Um, even, even knowing that he was living outside the will of God does not give Abraham the right to treat him wrongly. It just doesn't. And, and I think that sometimes I've seen it with Christians where they go, well, we, can, we don't have to deal with those people because they're not believers. That's just the wrong, it's just the wrong attitude 100% of the time. It's, that's never going to be the right attitude. Our assumptions can have impacts on all of those who are around us. Assuming the worst can, can really make us look like fools. It kind of does here. There's, there's a little line in here that I need you guys to hear that, that a bit like does, because he does kind of take a jab at, at Abraham here. He says, I, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. So he says, I didn't get your husband, I get your brother, because that's what he said he was. So he's basically saying, you have given this liar a thousand pieces of silver. He didn't have to. Again, he did it to show, I'm better than you in this case. And how many times have you guys had non-Christians do that to you? I told you, this is a gut check teaching because there's a lot of things that Josh missed again. There's a, there's a, there is a lot of, there's a lot of instances where Christians do it wrong. Believers to the home. So let's wrap this up. The first thing that you think when you meet anyone should be to look at them through the love of Christ, through the eyes of Christ. They haven't done anything to you yet. Why do you assume they're guilty of something? You automatically do that. If you don't see love through those people, check your own heart. Because again, it's reflective. We assume because we would have done that. Fear is the absence of love and fear will eat you up. I've seen it. People get so scared that they've done this or this or this that they can't even, they can't even function because they're so worried about the outcome of something that, that literally has nothing to do with they, 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 they're so scared of it. And, and I have to tell you, when we live in fear, our, our mind will, will take us to all kinds of places that we don't want it to go. You, you start rationalizing all kinds of stupid things in your head. You know, well, this is my personal life, or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, oh, that person never said they don't like you. Why do you, why do you say that? And we get into this, this mind game with ourselves, and it can be bad. It, it can do a lot of bad stuff. Assuming someone is one way or the other is almost always going to get you in trouble. It's, it just does. 
And when someone judges you, it's almost never about you, it's about them. Again, it's reflective. People's assumptions are reflective. It's about them and their insecurities and their limitations and, and their needs. And they just flip it on, well, they must need the same thing. There's a word for that. You know what it is? It's pride. You think that you're going through all this stuff, so everybody else must be. No, really, you know, sorry, I don't want to be this way, but everybody else is not as messed up as you. <laughs> it's, they have their own, they have their own messes. Everybody's got their own stuff. But I can't, I can't impart my insecurities on you and, and make that true for you, because it's normally not. Like back here, I, just because I can't reach to just go over those boards back there, Zach can. Well, I, for me to impart my shortness on him would be wrong. My mom tries doing this to me all the time. So we can't we can't impart those things. Assumptions. This is the other thing, guys. Assumptions are gospel message killers, 100%, because we're not supposed to be judging people in that way. God, God commanded us to spread his love. Nowhere, nowhere in this book does it tell us to pre-qualify them or assume their value or worth or intentions. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to do that. Jesus says in Matthew 5.46, what reward is it if you love those that love you? See, we, we look at we look at people and go, oh, Kevin, good looking guy. It looks like I can share the gospel with him. Here he knows the gospel. I don't matter. Share it with him. Get in my gospel quota for the week. You're sharing it with people who already know it. You're not sharing it. Share with people that don't know it. We have to spread the gospel to everyone, even those people that we think might not be the ones who are going to accept it. Again, we assume God hasn't been working in their hearts already. We assume that they don't need him when everyone does. Our assumptions are always wrong. It's not up to us to save people, but it's up to us to love them. And it's up to us to send them a gospel message without assuming they won't hear it. We have to go out in love, and we have to go out and spread that message. There are people out there who are dying to hear gospel, the truth about God. Not, not, these, not these messages that are, you know, just come to God, come in like him, and everything will be great. It's not what the Bible says. We have to spread the gospel of love and do it in a way that's true and honoring to him. And when we do that, people will come to the body and fold in and become true believers in Christ. And that's what this 
sit out there. That's why we should be going out and doing the things that we do. And when you make assumptions, you know what you do? Kill it. Kill the entire thing. You can't do that. Stand up and pray. I don't think we're saying